is uh, ready. Which might help. Bless the Lord. Welcome, everybody. We're going to lift the Lord up in praise and song this morning. And if the Lord's put a melody in your heart by uh, what he's done for you in your life, sing along with us and sing it out. Um, he keeps me singing. So let's uh, lift the Lord up in praise together. There's within my heart a melody. Whisper sweet and low, when I within peace be still. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 
As I said, good to see everybody this morning. It's a beautiful day outside. It's going to be a beautiful day in God's house as well. So walk around, shake somebody's hand, give them a hug, and tell them you're just glad to see them in God's house this morning. Amen. And who are you? Announcements. Let me get out there this morning. The next weekend, next Sunday, immediately following the service, I want to encourage you to be able to stay for a meeting if you would like to help and work with the Vacation Bible School. And if you can't actually stay and work with Vacation Bible School this summer and you want to just stay for the meeting to find out what you can help donate, what do we need, what is the theme, that kind of stuff. Everyone's welcome to stay, but we're going to have a meeting immediately following the service 
with a, a lunch being provided so we can talk about and start planning our vacation Bible school coming this month. Uh, where we're going to be, what we're going to do, and so that way we can mark our calendars, everybody get everything straight and in order there. So that's next Sunday after the first service. Also, let me put forth April 16th. That is our, our big church work day. We were doing a monthly work day and just a couple show up every now and then and such, and we decided we're just going to have a couple of big work days because we can get more folks to come. So I hope you've been marking that on your calendar, April 16th. There's some major projects we'd like to get done. I know Carla and the youth would like to get a Gaga pit built in the back that we're planning on doing that. We have a few other uh, projects we'd like to get done that, that needs to be done. And then also just our spring cleaning, getting everything cleaned back up around here and maybe washed and, and painted and such. Just getting everything spruced back up and getting ready for the, the new year. Remember, we are to take care of God's house. I know we all got things to do at our own. However, we need to remember that God's house should be first sometimes. So be praying about that. Be thinking about that. Now, I'm not trying to guilt or shame anyone into coming, but it is a great time of fellowship. We have a good time, a fun time. And when the day's over, we've eaten, we've talked, we've fellowshiped. But most of all, we've done some great work for the Lord as well. Amen? So I encourage you to be there April 16th, 9 a.m. till uh, whenever we're done with the projects there. If you can only come in for an hour or two. An hour or two is still something we can get done. So I want to encourage you to come out that day. Our church-wide camp out there, last, I checked earlier in the week. I can't remember what day that was, right? I know I sent it to you. Was that Monday or Tuesday, I think? Um, there were still 20 sites available. If you would like to camp out there for our, our church-wide picnic, it's Palmetto State Park. I want to encourage you to go ahead and go get your campsite. Someone asked me that there there's, seems to be two different campsites there. It's one campsite. It's just that you've got to go out on the road to get to the other half. One half is the electric and, and water hookups. The other half they call tent sites. It's just water hookups, but they've set it up so you can put RVs, campers, pop-ups, whatever you want there. It just only has water hookups. Also, the refectory where we'll be having the church services, you can camp there as well with just water hookups too. So there's, there's a lot of places still to get set up if you'd like to come to the camp out that week. Now, again, for those that haven't been here in the last few years and seeing how that works. We will still have church here that weekend, so don't use it. Oh, can't go to church. Church is closed. There'll still be church here for those who want to come here. We're just going to have a church out there as well. Uh, I know we always have done it at Potter's Creek. Potter's Creek got flooded last year. The, the, they still have not received the funds to rebuild it, and that's why we're at Palmetto State Park this year in Luling, uh, just outside Luling there. May even address Luling, I think. But the, the thing is still going to be the same. We're going to have a, a Dinner Saturday night, and then Sunday morning service on the grounds out there. Right there, they have a, a, a neat, built in 1918 um, um, outcropping by the river. We're just going to have a great service out there Sunday. You can come just for the service Sunday. You may come just camp for the weekend, or some of us are camping from Wednesday on, You know, getting, getting more days in there. So whatever the Lord lays on your heart. But it's a great time just to get out and relax, neighbor, fellowship, and, and just get away from the hustle bustle as well and have, have a service in God's country out there. Last but not least is the ladies' retreat. It, Sherry it came up a few weeks ago and put a passionate plea out there. I truly believe, I know, I know Julie's been, and I know others of the ladies have been to these, this uh, Women of Faith series. The ladies who come back really are always on fire saying that there was a lot of blessings, a lot of knowledge, a lot of things. 
So if you've never been, I want to encourage you to go. I know $200 sounds like a lot of money, but when it's covering your hotel and conference fees and everything, it really isn't that much. If you start saving that $7 a day or $5 a day or whatever it is now to save up for it. So if you would like to go, ladies, uh, just sign the, the sign-up sheet in the back because it's getting to that time to where she has to go ahead and secure the rooms there. So I want to encourage you, if you've, if you've been praying about it and thinking about it and you think you should, sign up so that, that Sherry knows who wants to go. All right, I think that's enough of the announcements. You know, I do have one more announcement. Thursday night, when we have our Thursday night prayer meeting up here, we always have dinner and then we have a, a Bible study of some sort. There's either John, Brian, or myself present the Bible study. But then we go over our prayer list. And when we go over our prayer list, we look for updates, we, we talk about praises, and we go through that prayer list. Praise God for that. But that prayer list isn't just for us to go over Thursday nights. The reason why it's included in your bulletin this morning, I want to encourage you, pray over that list. Take it home, maybe pick one name on it. Maybe God's going to have you pray for one person, or one section, or ten names. Or maybe he's saying to pray over the whole list, name by name. Whatever God lays on your heart, I know it's not just make an airplane and throw it out the window. If you would take that prayer list and pray over it, there are some incredible blessings that, that, and praises that we have been able to share off that prayer list. Whatever God's laying on your heart, will you take that prayer list and actually pray over it? In one accord, in uni- unity, we should be lifting up our brothers and sisters to the Lord. And you may say, well, he's got cancer. It's fourth stage. Prayer, you know, it's, he's beyond hope now. Nothing's beyond the, per- the power of God. And even if it is God's will for that person to be go- going home, Let's go ahead and be praying that it's a smooth transition and the family is able to accept it as well. Be praying for God's will. Amen? Amen. That's just my little soapbox issue for the moment. All right. Brother Bob. Bob. Let me pray with you, brother. Father God, I just lift up my brother to you again. I thank you for him coming up and playing for us and leading us in worship. And now he's going to open your word and may you speak through him what you would have us to hear. And may your will be done through him, Lord. Thank you for him and bless him and his family. In Jesus' name, amen. I like your shirt. Bless the Lord. I'm going to be reading today from 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. Um, I think this is a beautiful story how um, God showed us an example of a mentor and mentee relationship between Timothy and the Apostle Paul. But... Um, The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out of it. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have even strayed from the faith, and their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, and lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. It's really hard to add to those words because I think that um, Paul really hit the nail on the head there that um, we're going to be tempted for uh, the different desires in this world and 
um, long after having things. But um, if we keep our eyes on God, then we have the better prize. And I'm hoping that each of us can actually long for godly things and not worldly things. I, I know um, some people might take offense to this, but it's, it's not a sin to be rich. We know like even Abraham had a lot of possessions. The Bible said that he was a very wealthy man. But I think that one thing that really should be pointed out is that Abraham was willing to give his most prized possession for God. He was willing to take his son that he got in his later years. He thought he would never be able to have a son. And God gave him that son, and it was his most prized possession. And he was willing to lay that down for God. And so um, the problem comes in, it's not a sin to have nice things, but it's a sin to put those things before God or the desire for those things before God. Bless the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to be together in your house of worship, Lord God. And we thank you that you shared your word with us, Father, and that you allow us to hear from your voice. We just pray that you'd bless the service and let each person here hear from you, Lord God, that they might have the seed planted in them, that they might change and grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God. Last week you guys celebrated Easter, and uh, that was the celebration of God's resurrection. He went to be back with his father, but he gave him the promise. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Lo, I go to be prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise that we have, that we're going to rise up to meet him in the air at that Trump's last, last sound, and we'll forever be in a place where there's no more sorrow or no more pain. So join us um, in singing I'll Fly Away this morning. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. In the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars and small,
story told of dreaming Joseph and of Jonah in the well you often sing. There are many, many others in the Bible. I should like to meet them all, I do declare. By and by the Lord will surely let us meet them at the meeting in the end. There is going to be a meeting in the end, in the sweet, sweet by and by. I am going to meet you, I'll meet you over there.
service and father we just pray that you would allow us to hear from you in jesus name we pray amen amen praise the lord thank you guys i don't know maybe it's just me but the music this morning i'd like to just keep on singing i was having some like uh in, in alabama we used to after church you could go anywhere any park and there was bluegrass music the rest of the day you know that's just the way every sunday was at least around Coleman, Alabama, in Decatur, Alabama. It was uh, you go to any park, and there was going to be somebody that wanted you to play. And even if you didn't, they still had fun playing with you. Amen. Anyway, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Ecclesiastes chapter seven. We're going to do something a tad bit differently today. It's going to be more of an expository style of sermon, like I do on Sunday nights. We're going to go kind of scripture by scripture. We're going to read the whole passage of scripture first, and then we're going to break it down somewhat. So this is a different type of 
style, if you will, that God's laid on my heart this morning. However, I feel as though he wanted me to do this as I was praying about what to speak about this morning. Several weeks back, I was at a gathering of pastors, and it was somewhat astonishing to me. However, the question was asked, was there some scriptures that some pastors just did not want to preach, that there were scriptures that was too hard to preach? Now, immediately in my mind, I thought that rather awkward question due to the fact that if it's in the scriptures, it should be preached or taught. All, all words inspired by God, Paul says. Therefore, from Genesis to maps, to me, is inspired by God, and there shouldn't be anything that we cannot preach. However, I usually keep my mouth shut at those things, because even as old as I am, I tend to be the youngest one there. And yet, there was quite a few that held their hands up and started throwing these scriptures out there that they just don't preach. They don't, they don't go over in their churches, and I thought, that's kind of crazy. But one passage of scripture, several agreed, was just too hard to preach. So I hope I'm not doing this out of some kind of arrogance. I started praying about it because to me, the scripture makes sense. I don't see any reason not to preach it, as a matter of fact. And as I was praying about what to share this morning, this passage of scripture is what God's laid on my heart to, to share with you guys. So I've been praying about it. And this passage of scripture, and starting, we're in, we're in 7, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Now I'm going to start with verse 15. And as I said, I'm going to read through this passage, and then we're going to go back and we're going to break it apart. It is a little difficult if you were going to try to do a thematic type of sermon, per se. You have to break this down. There's a lot being said in this passage of Scripture. So, there are some powerful points in here I want us to make sure we grab a hold of this morning that I feel as though the Lord laid on my, my heart to share with you guys. But starting in verse 15, in my feudal life, remember this is Solomon speaking. Uh, and Solomon was the one, if you remember, who, who started out incredibly well, said the right things, worried about the right things, and God blessed him with wisdom. And along the way, he, he, he kind of loses his, his track and starts taking some tangents. However, by Ecclesiastes 7, we see him looking back now. He's thinking a little bit deeper, but that's where we're at here. So this is Solomon speaking. When he says, in my futile life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in spite of his righteousness. And yet there is a wicked man who lives long in spite of his evil. Don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. Wisdom makes the wise man stronger than ten rulers of a city. There is certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Don't pay attention to everything people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. I have tested all this by wisdom. I resolved, I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? I turned my thoughts to know, explore, and seek wisdom and an explanation for things, and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, her heart a net and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Look, says the teacher, this I have discovered by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation which my soul continually searches for but does not find. Amongst a thousand people, I have found one true man, but amongst all these, I have, found, have not found a true woman. 
Only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. Now, there, as I said, there are some practical things in here that I think that every one of us, in one way or another, can grab a hold of. There are some, some, some practical pointers for particular people, if you will, specific things. Some of us may grab some of this, some of us may grab of that. But Ecclesiastes as a whole, this is the journal of Solomon's quest to find the meaning of life. He is sharing with you and I his quest. What does it mean? Where has he gotten to? And as I said earlier, he got off onto a good start, but he started having to search around a little bit. Chapter 7 here, he's looking back. He's realizing, wow, you know, I've, I've strayed away, but I realize now my wisdom, the wisdom, only wisdom, comes from God, that God is the source of all wisdom and that God is the one that I need to turn back to. God is the one who brings all this stuff to light. Now, the point is, starting with verse 15, notice it says, in my futile life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in spite of his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who lives long in spite of his evil. The pointer here is, what you see is not always what you get. We know that. We've said that many a times. That's the age-old question. Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? I have heard that question so many times, and I still hear it on a fairly regular basis, especially by those who I'm trying to witness to. But I hear it within the church, too. Why do the, the righteous suffer? Why do the righteous die young sometimes? Why do the wicked seem to continue to go on? Why do the good die young and the bad, the nasty, they, they just live on and seem to, to defy God's justice? In our mind, we think it, it just doesn't square with God's word. It just isn't right. Something's wrong there. First thing, let me say this. Keep in mind that that is a generalization. We like to try to say that, that the, the good die young and the bad just keep going on because we see a few bad ones that live on. So first and foremost, let me just say that we have no, no tangent, I mean, no, no solid, tangible fact to pursue that argument anyway. It's just a generalization. But we do need to keep in mind as well, even though it's a generalization, sometimes it's true. Sometimes that does happen. Sometimes the good die early. Solomon didn't seem to make sense of this, and it bothered him, and I would say that it bothers many of us, us as well. It does. Or that question wouldn't continually come up. So how do we explain it? I can't stand here before you this morning and say that I can explain why. I can't give you the full answer, this is because why, dogmatically. Only God knows that. But what I can do is give you a whereabouts, if you will. I can give you insight into something that might make it a little bit more palatable to you. Why would God allow the good to die young sometimes? Remember, when the righteous die, regardless of their age, when the righteous die, Jesus is their eternal reward. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Therefore, if someone dies young, in our eyes, because we tend to be a little selfish and don't want to let things go, it's bad. But into the, to the eyes of God, that person just got an early promotion. That person now gets to sit in the presence of God. The glory of God is going to now be showered upon them. They have a glorious thing. If the wicked, the, the, the unrighteous, get by and live to a ripe old age. Let's say they just live to, 
to be 110 or something, 120. They just live a long time. Their reward is only in the here and now. Their reward is temporal. It's going to go away. That person who dies young has eternal reward from that point forward. That person that lives 100 years, let's say 120 years, they're finished. If you remember the rich ruler and Lazarus, they die. The, the, the rich ruler and Lazarus laying under the table just getting the crumbs that falls down to him. But after they die, the rich ruler's in hell, and it says the flames never are quenched, and that he's always thirsty. And he looks up, and he sees Lazarus, and he says, Abraham, send Lazarus to put a drop of water onto my tongue. And Abraham says, no. Not only is there a great gulf that, that separates the two of y'all, he can't see you. You can see him because you're in hell. He's got it going on for the rest of his eternal life. He's got glory. He's going to sit eternally in the presence of God. You are going to suffer because of your choices that you made on earth. So when we look and we say the good die young and, and the rich live on and it's not fair, I think that, that, that king in the hell would say, yeah, you're right, it's not fair because now I have eternity in hell. Oh, you get to have joy in heaven. So fair shouldn't enter the word here. We need to change our perspective just a little bit. That person that has a righteous life but dies early has eternal glory for that much longer than you and I that live long. And that evil person, no matter how long they live in this earthly body, is appointed on man once to die. And then the face of judgment. This body's going to die unless the Lord returns first. But that physical body goes back to the dust from whence it was created, and then they have eternity set in a devil's hell. So it's not a, a, a good argument there. I, I can't fully explain the workings of God. His ways are higher than my ways. But I can say that if we look at it from a different perspective, it might make just a little bit more sense. God doesn't just settle the accounts in October at the end of the physical year. That, the physical year. That's, that's not the way it works. We can't put a time limit on a life. God says when it's time, it's time. Whether it's young or whether it's old, whether it's in between, God decides and God already has an eternal glorious award and an eternal hellish award for those who choose not to heed the call. Praise God for that. The other thing that we can look at here, look at verse 16. It says, don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand, for the one who fears God will end up with both of them. The point that he is making here, guys, is to understand that God is still fully in control and that when he's in control, I shouldn't have to try to hold on to one or the other. What we, what we see is not always what we think. What we, what, we appear, what we seem to appear is not always as it appears. What Solomon's trying to say here is take everything in moderation. Be, be moderate. Do everything and understand that whether righteousness or sinfulness, we are still man. He's teaching balance in life. He's not telling us here to, to just be moderate with our righteousness, not just to be moderate with sinfulness. He's saying balance life. Understand that you are human. Understand you're going to fall sometimes. Understand you're going to be on top of the mountain sometimes. What he's really speaking to here is don't be hypocritical. Don't be that person that puts on that fake smile and talks about how you're super Christian and then go out in the world and act otherwise. 
Don't try to go full this way or full that way. Look to the Lord and let God guide you. In verse 15 there, he's saying, again, in my futile life I have seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in spite of his wickedness, and there's a wicked man who lives in spite of his evil. That is a, a concept that's hard for us to grasp. But unfortunately, there's still people in the churches today that will say, oh yeah, I have an answer to that. Don't be claim to be that self-righteous. Don't claim to be that wise. He's saying, you're not God. Don't try to be what you aren't over here. Just like the publican. If you remember the publican and the Pharisee, they, they go into the, the temple there, and the, the, the Pharisee, he's up there, and he's saying, God, look what I am. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And he, he's praying loudly. He's praying eloquently. And he's looking like everything's great. And then he points back to that sinner in the back. And the sinner in the back, the publican, he's back there. He's beating his chest. And he's saying, God, I, I, I'm just a sinner. I'm not worthy. I, I shouldn't even be here. Thank you for who you are. I, I am not. I don't. I just don't know how you can even love me. And that Pharisee in the front, he's beating, his, or he's, he's just holding up his hands, pointing back to the one beating his chest, and he says, look at him. Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. He's a sinner. He's ugly. He's gross. You know, he's bad. After it's all over with, Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says, the one that left out of their cleanse was the one in the back, not the one in the front. The one that left out of their cleanse wasn't the one that was trying to be holier than thou and sanctimonious. It was the one who in the back who is honest, who said, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I do stupid things. Yes, I'm not worthy. He was being honest about who he was with moderation. He was honest about what he was. He realized he could never be holier than thou, that he was so low. But in his lowness, he didn't give up. He didn't throw in the towel. He didn't say, I just can't be the Christian. He didn't go to the opposite extreme either. He didn't go to the pharisaical extreme or the give up extreme. He just sat before his Lord in humility and said, God, thank you. Thank you for what you are and who you are. Have you ever spent time with, with you know, I, I tend to call them sanctimonious sallies. You know, those, those people who tend to know everything, pious Pauls, the, the people who just feel as though that they, they try, have to impress everyone with their bulletproof theology, and they're, they say it with such, they're, like they're dripping with the Holy Spirit, and they're putting all this out there. They know the answers to everything, like in verse 15 there. They got everything going on in their mind. In reality, most of the time, they're, they're a pain. They're, they tend to convolute things and confuse things beyond what we should. They try to put off, look how good I am. Kind of sort of reminds me of Job's three friends who walked up to him, and rather than having godly advice for him, what did they say? They looked at him and said, won't you just curse God and die? That's some good friends right there, isn't it? That's what we do when we get so holier than thou, when we become that person who thinks that we are right there next to God. When we pretend to be holier than thou, we are, we, we are causing others to cast doubt, folks. We're causing others to say, I can't be like that person. Why should I ever try? When we walk with reality and humble ourselves like that publican in the parable that Jesus said and say, God, I am not worthy, that's when we're going to grasp God. That's what he's saying here. Solomon says, if you will not try to strive to be a hypocrite, and on the other hand, 
Don't, don't be that person that goes the other direction, just throws caution to the wind and says, you know, life is just a crapshoot here. So I'm just going to go out and I'm going to live lasciviously. I'm going to revel in wickedness. I'm just going to do everything. I'm going to eat, drink, be merry, do what the body says do because I can't get there anyway. He's not saying to be that hypocrite, that holier than thou, nor is he saying give up and throw in the towel. He's saying if you will walk to the best of your ability, being what God has created you to be, you're going to grasp a hold of him and you're going to hold on to him and you're going to find him in the midst of your life. As long as we try to be that hypocrite, holier than thou, how are you going to listen to God? You know more than he does. And if you throw in the towel and run with the ways of the world, God can't bless disobedience. Solomon's saying, wrap your arms around him. Wrap your arms around him and know he's there. He's telling us, guys, even when we don't understand, even when we feel as though we're so unworthy, when we feel as though that how could God love me, don't lose touch with one, your humanity, but don't lose touch with the fact that God loves us in that humanity. He's saying, fear God, but don't lose your perspective. Acknowledge who he is and walk that road with him. Look at verse 20. There is certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. There's another pointer right there. What you think is not always what you imagine. I think some of us sometimes think of ourselves, again, going back to that holier than thou. I think we think of ourselves better than someone else. We're a cut above someone else. We were talking about this in Sunday school a while ago, actually. Sometimes we tend to try to rationalize and and grade level our sin. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. Sister Julie brought it up earlier in Sunday school that that we tend to try to do that. We, We think of our sin as better than someone else's or someone else's worse than ours. Folks, let me tell you this morning, you may be thinking about somebody in your head, well, at least I didn't do that. You still sinned. The fact that you're putting yourself above them right now, you better stop and check yourself because you may be sinning right now. Sin is sin is sin. And when he says there in verse 20 that there is certainly no righteous man on earth who does good and never sins, he is being honest. The only thing that separates us from the world is the blood of Jesus Christ. We are all sinners saved by grace if we've accepted his grace, if we've accepted his glory, if we have accepted his sacrifice. If we have not accepted the sacrifice of Christ, we are no better than anyone else. Our imagination has run away with us if we start thinking we're better than anyone else. I don't care if you're thinking on a financial basis or, 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 or on your theological education. It doesn't matter. You either know Christ or you don't. But we are all sinners. We are all sinners. God alone is the only one who is absolutely perfect. There is not a one of us in this church or any church. I don't care how well they dress and how golden-tongued they may be, there is no one who is squeaky clean except through the blood of Jesus Christ. By His blood, I have been washed clean. And even that's somewhat of an oxymoron in a way. We, we have we like to sing about how we've been washed clean. However, you know what it says that, that we are when God looks upon us? He sees that we're in Christ. In reality, we've just been covered with the blood of Christ. 
and our ugliness is washed away. It's put as far as the east is from the west. But praise God, I am covered so that when God sees me, he sees the blood of Jesus. Because if he saw me, it would be nasty. It would be ugly. And you might be saying, but you're a pastor. You've got to be perfect. Let me tell you, I'm not. By far, I am not. But I serve the one who is. I have my faults. I have my failures. But I'll guarantee you, as Solomon says here, there is not a one out there who is not a sinner. Every one of us. So we need to remember that. Look at verse 21. Don't pay attention to everything people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. What you hear is not always what you need. We need to stop and start thinking about what it is that we listen to. I think many of us like to wear our feelings on our sleeves, and we take seriously everything someone says. We need to quit putting so much seriousness into everything everybody else says and go back, what does God say? And that includes the good stuff. I think sometimes we can't handle praise very well. Praise God. We are to praise one another. We're to lift one another up. But if, all, if we start seriously believing everything we hear, I think our head gets a little big. Well, if we start believing our own press reports, when people start saying about how smart we are, how good we are, how great we are, our head gets a little big and we start forgetting who we are. Or I remember my, being little, my mother used to say, you're getting too big for your britches. I think we get a little arrogant and we get a little cocky. It's better not to believe everything that we hear and go back to the Word of God. And the Word of God says what? That all of us are sinners in need of the grace of God. None of us are worthy, but by His grace we've been made whole. That by His strength I can do all things. Not my strength, His strength. That I must decrease so that He may increase. It doesn't matter about everything else. I need to start taking what people say. I like Charles Spurgeon in his book, Lectures to My Students. He says that every preacher needs one blind eye and one deaf ear. I think every Christian should have the same. In other words, take what, in what's being said and, and, and see what's being shown but let it go through and be what God would have you say. Don't take it all in. Don't accept it as fact just because it's been said. And that goes with criticism too. Criticism, if we, if we listen to every bit of criticism, none of us can accept criticism very well, I think. But let me tell you, if you just take every bit of criticism as, oh, poor me, it's going to cut you to the heart and you're going to find yourself rocking in the corner somewhere. So when, when Solomon says don't pay attention to everything people say, he's not saying just don't listen. Quit wearing your feelings on your sleeves. We need to be thick-skinned. What we should take into every, everything that's said is from the Word of God. And what does God say? God says, I love you enough that I died for you. I cared for you. And as, as, as Brother Bob quoted a while ago, I have gone to prepare a place for you. If it was not so, I would not have said so so that I will return unto you and draw you unto myself, so that where I am, you shall be always. He was sharing that with you and I. That's the words we need to hold to. That's the things we need to listen to. That's the things we need to wrap our mind around. My God loves me, even if sister so-and-so says I'm fat. If brother so-and-so says that real men have hair. Whatever it may be, my God loves me. And I can walk with my head held high because I didn't take everything seriously that everyone said. 
Be careful about that, guys. Don't be like the, the guy that wouldn't go to a football game because every time they got in a huddle, you thought they were talking about him. That's just not the way, <laughs> that's just not the way it's supposed to be. Everybody's not talking about you, I promise. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people. Well, they were talking about this, that, and the other. Oh, what'd they say? Well, I didn't actually hear them. Then why do you think that? Well, they looked at me. Okay. Just because somebody may look at you or you may think this, that, or the other, don't take it to heart. All it does is ruin your life. It ruins your life. Look at verses 22. Verse 22 And we're going to read a little bit here. And we'll go back. But verse 22 says, for you you know, oh, excuse me, excuse me, 23. I have tested all this by wisdom. I resolved I will be wise. But it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and ever very deep. Who can discover it? I turn my thoughts to know, explore, and seek wisdom and explanation for things and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap her heart and net and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Look, says the teacher, this I have discovered by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation which my soul continually searches for but does not find. Among a thousand people I have found one true man, but amongst all these I have not found a true woman. Only see this, I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. What we discover is not always what we expect. I, don't, I know for some of us, we've been out of school a long time, and you may not remember the scientific method per se, but it almost sounds like here Solomon was doing, uh, was like a scientist in his exploratory work. When you look through the scriptures here, it says he tested and he determined in 23. I turned in verse 25. I find in verse 26. In verse 27, I discovered. He's going through this, this series of things here, and in his mind, in his in his pioneering, if you will, what did he find? In his scientific method, in his study that he shared with us, what did he find? And it is this. He said, wisdom is beyond me. Wisdom is beyond me. This coming from the man that God said, I will bless you with wisdom more than any other man. But when, by chapter 7, what is Solomon saying? Wisdom is beyond me. In other words, we can't make ourselves wise. We cannot. We cannot educate ourselves into wisdom. Wisdom and education are two different things. You can be incredibly educated and extremely frivolous. You can be extremely educated and and have absolutely zero common sense. He's saying, I can't make myself to be wise. Wisdom, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, wisdom comes from God. Period. That's why he, Solomon here, he says the words are beyond. It's far off. He tried to understand wickedness. And, 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 and he, he, he said, I just don't get it. But he gives us an analogy. He goes to that, that, the second idea here, the trap, if you will. That, the affair. He says that affair can't satisfy me. He uses words like snare, trap, chains, ensnare. Let me tell you this morning. Wisdom comes from God. Not from our eyes. Oftentimes we say, we'll, we'll look across the fence and the grass looks greener over there. We look at that, that, that woman starts to look nice over there and, and starts saying, wow, you know, I, I could start a new relationship over there across the fence. And we step over the fence and we step into all these briars and it's too late to get back over. 
we start doing things and saying things and, and, and we get caught in this trap or that, that hulk with the, the six-pack six pack abs. That looks great compared to the bald head and bifocals. Bulges in places shouldn't be bulging. But let me tell you, when we let our eyes and our emotions make those decisions for us rather than our wisdom, it may seem appealing. It may seem compelling. But listen to the man who was an animal. He had a thousand wives. That's not very wise. That's a thousand mother-in-laws. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not. Take it from the one who is saying this and putting it out there. He's saying, guys, that's not where the wisdom is. It never satisfied him. It said, it, it, it escapes me. Wisdom escapes me. It's not about the trap. He's saying, don't give it into that trap. Don't give in to, to, to that, that, that woman who is trying to pull you over. And I would put it on the other side as well. Stop and think. Lord, what would you have me to say here? Counsel escapes me, he says. While trying to figure these things out, Solomon, I, I can't, I'm, I'm going to give you a word picture. I don't know if anybody's ever read the message. It's not something I would tell you to read for a Bible study. However, it puts, word, puts it in a, in a different kind of storytelling way sometimes. But Solomon, he, he's, he kind of goes and he visits the country club. And he goes to the country club and he goes out for a night with the boys. And he's talking to all the guys and he's hanging out with all the guys. And he says, out of a thousand men, out of a thousand men, I only could find one that was upright. I hung out with all these men and I've searched trying to get an answer as to where wisdom comes from. And I have a thousand people asking them, should I do this or should I do that? Did you miss the trap or did you fall into it? Out of a thousand men, I find one. But he's simply trying to tell you and I this morning, it's not hard to comprehend or understand. He's saying that wise counsel is rare. Don't listen to everything everyone has to say. Compare it back to what God has to say. Seek out wise counsel. The scripture tells us to do that. But don't just take what every man says be wise. He said, I have a thousand men. I found one that was really upright. I found one who stood in accordance with the word of God. And then he goes to the beauty shop and he's hanging out at the beauty shop and he interviews all the women there and he can't find even one says, where are they at? Now, ladies, don't get upset by that. Solomon is also the same one who wrote the masterpiece about a virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31. So if you've never read Proverbs 31, he lifts women up on a high pedestal. The point he is trying to make is that before we go to any counselors, and and don't get me wrong, I don't have nothing against counselors. I send people to counselors all the time. However, I think that oftentimes we go to the counselor, to this counselor, that counselor, and we've never stopped and asked God for wisdom. We've never stopped and asked God about our problems. Lord, what would you have me to do? Uh, I know I made a huge mistake. And sometimes we'll go to counselors and say, well, first of all, you've stepped out where you shouldn't have stepped out. You did what you shouldn't have done. Well, we don't want to hear that, so we'll just go find another counselor. Or we'll say, I'm sure not going to go to the Word of God because I know what the Word of God is going to say about it. But if we really want wisdom, if we truly want to be wise, this is where we go. That one wise man, he says, that's rare. Why not go to where you know it is? Why not go where you know it is? Because the problem isn't, you know, it's great. Verse 29, the last verse there. Only have this, is this what I've seen, 
I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursue many schemes. In other words, the other thing I want to point out, the problem is in me. The problem is in me. He says that wisdom can only come from God because I have schemes. I have my own wants. I have that that desire to do what I should not do. Adam and Eve, they were upright. They were put in Eden, which was paradise. Then sin invaded their ranks. And as it came through, folks, it has infected us. Ever since then, we have been infected and carrying around a deadly virus called sin within us. And we oftentimes, we try to find a cure with alternatives. We try to find a cure with, with all these substitutes. We'll chase this and we'll chase that. We'll make decisions that we know to not be true. We try to go to counselors and we go all these different places. At the very beginning of this, he starts out with, why does a righteous man die young and the wicked live on? He starts out with the hardest question. And he goes throughout this passage of Scripture toward pursuing wisdom. And it all sums up. He said, I, I asked a thousand men. I went to all these women. I looked here. I looked there. But finally it comes down to this. There is only one that has wisdom. And that one is Jesus Christ. That one is God. We are corrupt. We are not going to find satisfaction until we meet God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Solomon is explaining here, I don't have wisdom. I don't. He says in verse 29, I have discovered that it was God who made people upright. It is only God that can make me upright. It is only God that has true wisdom. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to do. Now, it's easy to say a prayer and say, Father, come into my heart with our mouths, but it's hard to make sure we say it with our hearts. But that's where wisdom comes from. What Solomon was saying to the world here, guys, and what he's saying to you and I, that if we want to be the men and women that God has called us to be, we need to quit running on our own wisdom because we all have our own schemes. We need to quit running to everyone else trying to find the wise one to tell me how I'm to act. And I need to quit trying to figure out the things that are greater than I am. I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where my wisdom will come. Quit trying to be hypocritical and holier than thou to cover up your sin. And don't just waller in your sin and give up. Walk the center of that pathway with your eyes on God and say, God, I'm unworthy. I am unwise. I have schemes. I choose not to pursue the men of this world to look for my answers. I choose not to step in the trap that ensnares me and pulls me into Satan's realm. I choose to understand that I have my schemes, but I give them over to you today. This passage of Scripture is pointing to one thing. And I don't think it's hard, like a lot of the folks may say it is. Our wisdom can come from God and God alone. And you choose now whom you are to serve. Joshua says, for me and my house, I choose to serve the Lord. You could rephrase that to say, Joshua said, for me and my house, our wisdom comes from above. From Christ, from God. Where is your wisdom this morning? Have you placed it in your own activities? In your own knowledge, your own education, your own theologies? your own ability to put up a front, 
your own ability to make your decisions? Or are you going to be that wise, godly individual that says, my faith is in the hands of God. I am a sinner in need of your grace. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you may be hearing people telling you, oh, that church thing, it's just a crutch. Oh, you don't need God. Go out and have fun. How can you have fun in the world if you don't know if, if you go and do that church thing? The world's going to pull you into that trap. The, the woman that he's talking about here that ensnares you. Now we look at it as an adulterous thing going on, and it is. He does say, use an adulterous figure. But if you look in the book of Proverbs, he uses that same woman to be the anti-wisdom. She is the trap, Satan's trap. Whatever the trap may be, whatever the sin is, he's going to use a lure to pull you in. And Solomon, being a man of a thousand wives, his lure was women. And he says, don't fall for the lure. Don't get pulled in. Put your eyes on God and your wisdom will come true. Where are you this morning? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's first and foremost. I don't care what the world's telling you. If any of y'all are, um, I don't see any college-age students. Well, I guess that's a, that's a misnomer in itself. But if there's any of you in college and you have professors telling you that God's not real, I'm going to tell you this morning he is. And he's reaching out to you with a wisdom that surpasses all understanding if you'll take it this morning. Where are you this morning? If God's working in your life, will you accept him today? Will you step out and put your faith in his hands? If you already know him as your Lord and Savior, hallelujah. Pray that you're not that Pharisee. You're not that hypocrite. But if you're on the verge of throwing in the towel, don't do that either. If you're letting other people's words hurt you, he says, don't listen to them. Just as you've cursed others and didn't mean it, they may not mean it either. Just this week, somebody, I didn't, I didn't, still don't think I did anything wrong. The lady behind me made sure to blow her horn and gave, told me I was half a peace sign. And I just smiled and I waved. I didn't get mad at her. In fact, I thought it was kind of funny. Because in those years ago, I might have done the same thing. Still don't know what I did to make her mad, but I just waved. You may be that one. When you get mad about that guy cutting you off in traffic, remember, you probably cut somebody off too. So why not just take it all in stride and say, my wisdom comes from above. Where are you at this morning? Where are you at? Let's all stand. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray this is the day you make the difference. You make that change. If you do know him today, then as Solomon says, I've already, Solomon's telling you, I've already searched for wisdom everywhere. I've looked all over the place. I've trailed, I've studied, and I am the man that God's blessed with wisdom. You know what he's telling us? Don't waste your time doing what I've done. Just acknowledge the hypothesis, and that is that Jesus Christ, God, is the only one who has wisdom. Go there for it. Go there. As we pray, Father God, I come before you this morning. I just praise you for this opportunity to, to open your word and share 
what you would say through Solomon today, a man of infinite wisdom who went off on a tangent but realized you are the author of all that wisdom. Help us to be wise. Help us to focus on you and help us to be what you called us to be. And God, if there's someone here today that has not surrendered their heart to you, if there's someone here today that has not accepted you as their Lord and Savior, may this be the day they accept you before it's too late. There's someone here today that has been ensnared by that trap and they realize that it was wrong and the world's telling them it's too late. May they realize now that they can put their faith back in you. And though there may be consequences, they can still wrap their arms around you and you'll make everything back to where it should be. If they put their faith and hope in you. If there's someone here today that's about to throw in the towel, God, let them know that you love them and that you care for them, and regardless of what may be, you are there for them. And God, that one that's maybe holier than thou, wherever they may be, maybe they realize that there is only one who is perfect, and that was you. May your will be done this day, Lord God, and may we give you all praise, honor, and glory for whatever happens at this time of altar call. Thank you for who you are, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this morning, if God's telling you to sing, sing. If he's telling you to to come down and pray at this altar, come pray at the altar. If he's telling you to pray where you're at, pray where you're at. Let's do what God's calling us to do today as we sing, guys. Mm -hmm.